Okay, let's pray and we'll get into the word together. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, um, Lord, that you, that you have taken this opportunity to introduce yourself to us in this way. Lord, you rebuked those who thought it was just about your word and not about you. But you said that these scriptures are the things that speak to us about you. And Lord, we know that we are looking past these scriptures at you and at what you want to teach us and, and relating to a real God who's really there, who's a real person, who uh, wants to have a relationship with us. And Lord, as we, as we turn our eyes to your word, I pray that you would be speaking to us through it, that it wouldn't just be us learning facts about facts, but Lord, that you would be talking to us and ministering to us, Lord, encouraging our hearts and giving us boldness, Lord, that you are alive, that you love us, that you have purchased us, Lord, that you're coming again soon. And we pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, we had short worship. If you didn't notice, it was pretty short. So we're going to come back to it at the end of service and have communion together. So that's why our service is a little bit different this morning. So we're in Acts chapter 4. So if you turn there, and if you need Bibles, um, if you need one for the service, there's some on the back table there. If you need one permanently, just keep it. And uh, we've got more in a box at my house, and we'll just put more out next Sunday. So um, they're good Bibles. <coughs> um, so Acts chapter 4. So far in the book of Acts, we've seen some things happen. We've talked about, we keep reintroducing the book every Sunday. The book of Acts is um, titled, in my Bible it says, The Acts of the Apostles. And I, I, I take issue with that personally. I th- say that it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It is the, the things that the, the apostles did, but it's not a story about the apostles. It's a story about what Jesus continued to do after he rose into heaven. What he did through the Holy Spirit when he sent the Holy Spirit. And so we've talked about that each time. And I'm not, I don't think it's not about the apostles, but it's not really about the apostles. So that's kind of where we've landed on that, or at least I have. Hopefully I'm talking you into it, or at least brainwashing you by mentioning it every Sunday. And so um, Jesus ascends in, into heaven, and he says, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit that the Father is going to give to you. And so he sends to the church the Holy Spirit, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens immediately the outflow of that, there, there's, a, there's a visible outflow, there's, a, there's an audible thing that happens. They speak in tongues. The whole, the whole group of them, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they speak in tongues. But what happens, the thing with lasting fruit, the thing that you can go on the other end of the event and see, is that the gospel was preached, it was believed on, people were baptized and added to the church. That the kingdom of God started growing, people's hearts were given over to Jesus. That's what happened. If you take any event and you, you call it a black box and you just look at parenthetically, here's, here's a period of time and there were some things that happened. Um, you know, there's, there's wars, right? The revolutions, like the French Revolution, you look at the beginning of it and the end of it, and there was a, there's a, there's a tangible change. There's something that happened during that period of time. And there was a lot of people that died and a lot of people that, that fought and a lot of things that happened. But what really happened 
was that the aristocracy and the, the, um, the rulership, there was, a, there was a rollover, and it turned into uh, a different kind of government. That's what happened, right? So you look at Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came, and, and they spoke in tongues, and this, all of this, this group of people came, and they had this big conversation. But what happened, what, ha- what was different the next day, was that there were 3,000 people who had given their hearts to the Lord, and that was permanent. That was a permanent effect of what happened there. And what continued to happen is the, the Holy Spirit, as Peter stated, it continued to be poured out on those who believed in Jesus. It continued to be poured out. But the thing that was active in making that change was that the gospel was preached. And so, in Acts chapter 2, that's what happens. Then in Acts chapter 3, there's another happening. There's another thing that happens. A man is crippled and he's healed. He's 40 years old. And he's sitting there in the temple courts, or just at the gate of the temple, because he can't go in the temple courts. He's sitting there at the temple gate, as close as he can get to it. And Peter walks by and he says, ask him for money. And Peter says, I don't have money, but what I do have... I've, just been, I've been given a great gift that I'd like to try it out on you. Stand up and walk. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. The guy stands up and walks. And what's going to happen, so we're in chapter 4, we're, coming, we're kind of still in the middle of this story. Again, what happens, the gospel is preached. People give their hearts to the Lord. And the next day, the next month, what changed about what happens here is that many things were said, but... People came into the kingdom of God. That's what the Holy Spirit did. That's my, what I'm trying to say. Is The Holy Spirit healed this one man. But what the Holy Spirit really did, permanently, was bring people into the kingdom of God. That's his job. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and he would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. That that would be his job. That he would counsel and that he would teach and that he would draw all men to himself. That would be the Holy Spirit's job. So he goes about doing that in different ways. And that's what you're going to see all through the book of Acts. Is God doing different things, but one thing happening. The kingdom of God growing because the gospel is preached. And so any number of things can happen. There can be any number. And that's the thing that's, that, that's consistently inconsistent in the book of Acts is method. There's all kinds of different ways things happen. It comes, sometimes the Holy Spirit falls on people and they haven't been baptized yet. Sometimes they've been baptized and the Holy Spirit hasn't filled them yet. Everything's different except that the Holy Spirit does His job, which is pull people into the kingdom of God. That's what happens. And He's using the apostles to do it. They're they're an integral part of that. And so, um, we're in Acts chapter 4, and this is what's happened in Acts chapter 3. This guy has been healed. Now it draws a huge crowd. This man has never been into the temple courts. He runs into the temple courts and he's jumping and he's running and leaping and praising God and he's drawing attention to the apostles. And they say, how did this happen? And he says, these guys invoked the name of Jesus. They asked in Jesus' name and I was healed. And so, you know, Peter testifies to that and says, this is, this is the deal. The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. Jesus, the one that you rejected and killed, God hasn't rejected. And he also, by the way, hasn't stayed dead. He's still alive. And he's the one responsible for this healing. And so, you look in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the 
Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, and being greatly disturbed, this is what greatly disturbed them, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So what happens here is Peter has... And this is what we talked about last week, so you can get online and look, listen to the sermon if you missed it. But what happens is Peter, this guy is healed. People gather because of this, the noise of this guy getting healed and the attention it draws. And he knows exactly what to do with it. He drives home the gospel. He tells them the gospel. He tells them to get saved, to repent and believe. And so they do. 5,000 of them do. Now, it doesn't, there's a little bit of confusion about that because you don't know whether this is the total of people that believed that day, 5,000, that the total of men came to 5,000 who believed, or whether you're adding on from the 3,000 from chapter 2. Because 3,000 people believed on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people believed and were baptized and added into the church. Now, there's some controversy over whether there was another 2,000 or whether there was 5,000 people who believed all at this one time. I don't really care which one it is. But I just wanted to, either way, a lot of people believed. And so that's why I said there was, we, we get kind of distracted like they did. There's a lot of attention drawn to this guy being healed. But the next day, everybody who walked away from there has, that, that believed had a relationship with God that they didn't have before. So it wasn't just one thing that happened to one guy. It was a thing that happened to 2,000 or maybe 5,000 people. That's what happened. And so um, I just wanted to point that out. Um, that it's kind of like... Um, remember, remember Oprah Winfrey? Remember that? Remember her? <laughs> Such a long time ago. Um, but remember that she, at one, one of her shows, maybe she did it more than once, but she gave everybody in the audience a car. Remember that? That made a bit, it was a big splash. Like, and that was a big, she got some attention for that. Usually, though, you go to an Oprah Winfrey show and maybe they'll get a, get a grab bag or something, you know, like, I don't know, some face washer. I don't know what they give at those things. I've never been to an Oprah Winfrey show. But people go to the show to see the show. Right? They don't think that they're going to be, unless they go to the prices right, they don't think they're going to be one of the contestants. They're just going to see that show and be in the audience. And these people gather and they think they're part of the audience, right? And what Peter does is say, hey, buddy, look under your seat. Keys, what are those for? You are the owner of a brand new relationship with God. Because these people gathered to see what had happened to somebody else. But what the Holy Spirit had in mind was that they would wake up the next day with a relationship with God. Just like those other people. So I went to the Oprah Winfrey show and I woke up the next morning and, you know, the, 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 the lights went down and the music stopped. But I've got a car. That's awesome. <laughs> right? Can you just imagine like the next week you're like, that really happened. Because they thought they were going just to see something. But what happened was they, they got something. And that's what God's mind is. There's things that happen that people do things like that. But his mind is to, to include us. And so, then you have um, what happens here 
It says the Sadducees, the, the priests, there's, there's, there's three groups of people mentioned here in verse 1. Um, now, they spoke to the people, I guess that makes four. The, priests, the people were being spoken to by Peter, but the priests, the captain of the temple, so they had their own army, basically, their own guard, and the Sadducees came upon them. And this is what they were upset about. It says they were greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. What I like about this is that it, it, it tells us what it was that was being preached. If we, if we didn't know that chapter 3 existed, we know what it was, the, the, the long and the short of it, of what Peter was trying to say. This is the message that we have to preach. This is the, the, the essence of the gospel, is that in Jesus there's a resurrection from the dead. It has, it has much less to do with a healthy lifestyle. It has much less to do with a, uh, a new way of living. It has much less to do with ideology. What we have to offer people, what's under the seat, like the car keys, what's under the seat is the resurrection from the dead. It's not, nothing less than that. It's nothing uh, smaller than that. It's that big. And this is why they were upset, because they preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, the Sadducees, I, I really feel like these words, at least for me, for a really long time, it was just like the people with beards came and started trouble. That's how I felt when somebody throws around the word Sadducee or scribes or Pharisees or whatever. I was just like, you know the people with angry eyes and a beard. Like, that's because I... Maybe it's because of flannel graphs, and maybe it's because my teachers in Sunday school used the same flannel graph, bearded dude with angry eyes, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the temple guards. But they're different groups of people. And the Sadducees made up most of the ruling class, the, the chief priests, both Annas and, and Caiaphas. And they were the politically powerful religious leaders. Now, that's kind of complicated for us because we don't do religiously powerful political leaders, really. Most of our... We're either politically powerful or religiously powerful, but we're not both. Because we have the separation of church and state. Well, you have to understand, in Israel, there was no separation between church and state. There There was the church, and it was the state. That's the way they saw it. Well, when Rome came in, they, were, they, were de- they had delegated authority to kind of rule themselves like the gangs do in prison. You know, they're just like, hey, you guys, <laughs> cover things yourselves. And so they, they kind of, that's why you see this underhanded pressure they're putting on people and they're killing people and they're not really supposed to, but nothing happens when they do it. It's because the Romans were like, you guys are intense and I don't want to step on too many toes because you'll start another riot and you'll blow stuff up. Somebody died. I'm just going to turn a blind eye to it. And they do a lot of that stuff. And the reason is because they, there was no separation between the secular government and, and their religious government. Well, the people who were in power were a sect, a section, a subset, like a subculture of Judaism called the Sadducees. And so Caiaphas, so when it says the captain of the temple guard hired by the high priest and the Sadducees, and the high priests, 
Those all were basically Sadducees because what Josephus tells us and other historians of the time tell us that the the people who were powerful, um, the people who were willing basically to cooperate, cooperate with Rome were the people who were less religious and more secular. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe that God was spiritual. They believed that he was basically um, something that they had made up that embodied the culture of Judaism. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that there was life after death. They didn't believe in the spiritual at all. They were like, I I don't know how you do that, but, but they did that. They had... They were the first ones. Like, like you know that there's people that, well, you, you don't have to know that there's people. You just turn on Discovery Channel when it says walking through the Bible or what, I don't care what it is, that you see on TV. They're, they're, the gist of what they usually are trying to say is either, it's like the X-Files where they're like, the truth is out there, but we don't know it. You know, it can't be known. Or they're, they're doing this. They're trying to explain the miracles of God, the miracles in the Bible, um, in, in natural, with natural explanations. Like, like oh, yeah, the, the, the Red Sea parted. Well, because there's a real shallow spot. It's not, you know, when they write these things down, what they mean by Red Sea is Reed Sea. And it was kind of this slough. And it was a dry year and the water was low. And they just kind of walked across, you know, found their way through the swamp. And it was still a miracle per se, you know, because they, they got through and they got away from the Egyptian army. But it wasn't like a miracle. So these are the original guys that did that. They took the miracles of the Old Testament and said, you know, there is no God to answer to. We are unto ourselves. We rule ourselves. And so they, they did that. And they, didn't, they, didn't, they did a lot of stuff. You, you see the stuff that they did to kill Jesus, to keep peace to the nation? It's better for one man to die, right? For the whole nation. They were saying that, and they didn't realize they were speaking prophetically, but they were saying that because they're like, look, whatever this religious nut does, we just need it to shut up. So we can go on about our business being Jews, but not, we don't want any of this radical stuff. We don't want any of this craziness. And so you can see them, they totally, they had spent their whole lives discounting and disbelieving and pushing away things that were supernatural. And so when they're presented by these magnificent miracles that Jesus did, people rose from the dead and they are like, you know what we got to do is kill this guy so he shuts up about not, about rising from the dead. That's what they said about about Lazarus. It was these guys. And so the Pharisees, they disagreed and they fought against Christianity because Christianity said that the law was no longer the way that we approach God. And guess what they were all about? They were all about the religious law. Said our approach to God is through the law. That was their thing. But these are Sadducees and they don't believe at all in the resurrection. And Peter, first thing he does is heal this guy and they're like, well, that's annoying because it's really hard to explain. Like we talked about last week, how this guy with contractures and drop foot who's been unable to walk and has never walked in 40 years is running around the temple. That's just, it's going to take us years of research to try to figure out how to talk around this. That's annoying. What's really annoying to us, though, is that they're saying that, one, Jesus is alive and we were very careful to kill him well. And they're saying Jesus is alive 
and that Jesus will bring about the resurrection from the dead. That's what made them so upset. And so they're very disturbed. And it says, They put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. <coughs> and then in verse 5 it says, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes... So now you've got the whole group. The, the one group was the prosecution. And now they've gathered the whole Sanhedrin, that group of elders of the people... And scribes, as well as Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, who was the other high priest. I told you it was complicated, right? There's only supposed to be one high priest, but there's two this at this during this year because the Romans had assigned one of these very secular guys, uh, Caiaphas, as high priest, and then Annas, if I'm getting it right, then Annas was the one who was by lineage from the line of Aaron. He was supposed to be high priest, and they were they were closely related. Now, interestingly, um, uh, it says, John and Alexander and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And they, when they had set them in the midst, they said, by what power or by what name have you done this? And so I think it's interesting, by the way, that John is there with Peter. So it's Peter and John who are arrested. And John was known to the family of Caiaphas, the high priest. They knew him. I don't know how they knew him, but, but he was somebody that they knew. It says so when Jesus was arrested and John was allowed into Caiaphas's house or his compound because he was known to the family. Even though he was a disciple of Jesus, he was known to the family and let in. Now, it's really hit the fan because he's been arrested in the temple and they're prosecuting him. So things have changed. That relationship has gone kind of south for him. But I'm kind of helping us understand there's this, there's going to be as much weight that these guys can lean, they're going to lean on them. They can't do anything to them. But we're talking about intimidation here. These guys are going to pull up every, you know, pull themselves up to their highest stature and they're going to lean on the apostles and say, don't do this or it's going to be bad. That's basically all that they're going to do to them. But that's significant. That's almost sometimes worse than outright persecution. It's like, you have peace now. But if you don't stop, well, then there's going to be heck to pay. Right? And so what happened, there's, there's, we're going to talk more about that. But this is the question they ask. They say, by what power or by what name have you done this? And so there's, this is a legitimate question. And, and I'm not saying that because they didn't know. I'm not saying because it wasn't rhetorical or they weren't just kind of leading the witness because they were, but in that day, and, and still, it's not impossible for someone to be healed by other powers. And, and we just need to know that, that, that healing is not something that's exclusive. Uh, spiritual healing is not something that we're even claiming is exclusive to Christianity or to, or to God. Satan does that. He does it at great cost. Jesus does it freely, but he does it at great cost. There's, there's psychic healers, there's, there's people that are, uh, you know, shaman and all kinds of goofy stuff. And Satan does heal people. That doesn't mean that he's good. It means that he's drawing attention to himself so that people will follow him 
and, and worship him and that, that people will uh, lead, lead after him. So I just wanted to say that, you know what? The thing that God says is exclusive unto himself. He says it's prophecy. He says, go for it. Give it your best try. Predict something, whether it's good or bad. He tells the other, the other demonic forces, the, other, the idols that the Israelites are following in the Old Testament. He says, you guys, great at doing all this other stuff. Even when Moses goes to Egypt, right? They do some of the miracles, right? But God says that the, the magicians do. But God says to the Israelites, he says, all these other gods you're following... Have them predict the future accurately. Whether it's good or bad, I want them to say it. Because God, God's like, I'll undermine it. Because <laughs> he's really powerful. So he, said, he says, this is the thing that I have exclusive, exclusive right to. Is I know the end from the beginning. I know the end of the story. And they don't. Because they're finite and I'm infinite. And that's what it means. They're very smart about, the, about history. They know things maybe that other people wouldn't know because spirits dwell in a different dimension. So they're around, right? They're observing, they're seeing stuff. And you're like, nobody was there watching. They're like, well, I was. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to feed you this information and make you think that, you know, I have ultimate power. And that's what Satan does. He shows that he has some power. And then he says, and that means the conclusion to draw is that I have ultimate power. But these guys ask, by what power and by what name have you done this? And so it tells us something about when Jesus, when, like we were talking about last week, when these guys say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, it was because of the power of Jesus. It was because of the authority of Jesus. It was in his name that they were doing that. It wasn't, it wasn't like a special word that just is kind of a, like a hocus-pocus thing. It was that, that Jesus was, had the power to do this. Um, and so they ask, <coughs> who are you crediting? And then um, another example of somebody who did great signs and impressed a lot of people but wasn't uh, from the Lord is Simon the Sorcerer. He's just in a couple chapters. Um, in chapter uh, 8, we're going to see that guy uh, in Acts. And he, he called himself, he impressed a lot of people, and a lot of people followed him and listened to his teaching. He called himself the great power, right? And he, he did a lot of stuff, but he wasn't that great. He wasn't from the Lord. And so, um, just wanted to point that out. And then it says, this is Peter's response. So, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we are this day... To be judged for a good deed done to a helpless man. By what means he has been made well. Let it be made known to you all and to all the people of Israel. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Who you crucified. Who God raised from the dead. By him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So this is the thing you have to recognize. So far, God has drawn attention. He has gathered peoples of focus. He's done that in a couple different ways. First way, 
was a great, the sound of a great and mighty wind and then people speaking in tongues, right, on Pentecost. Second way was this man being healed and then making a fool of himself running around the temple praising God. Now, I, I would gladly be that fool, but he did get a lot of attention and he was clinging. The people came to Peter and John because he's clinging to them. So God gathered attention that way. And then in each instance, the gospel was preached and many people believed and were saved, right? Well, like I said, the only thing that's consistent is the inconsistency. Here, God has done exactly the same thing. There are 70 elders. There are all the people. They had it on the next day so everybody could show up. They didn't realize what they'd been invited to. These guys were invited to hear the gospel, and they thought they were invited to judge these to judge Peter and John. You know what's great? By chapter 6, it says a great many of the priests and those who worked in the temple became believers and became obedient to the faith. Why? They were all here. Nobody missed it. Everybody was there. Everybody who was anybody was here at this trial and got to see this and got to hear from Peter and John. This is awesome. So, so we see guy gets healed from his crippled state. And we're like, that's awesome. God's obviously drawing attention to himself. We should preach the gospel. But then this happens, and it's a little harder to see sometimes. But Peter knocks it out of the park again. That's the thing that's great, is you see Peter not stick his foot in his mouth. Again, this is three times in a row. He's, he's, he's batting a thousand, because the Holy Spirit is on him. And so, this is what he does. He says, and this is one of my favorite verses, because It's so clear, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, the Sadducees in general, their whole thing, the whole work that they had done was to undermine the idea that salvation was necessary. If there's no afterlife, if there's no supernatural, if there's no one to answer to, there's no saving that needs done, right? We live good lives, we enjoy ourselves, we have a great time, and we die and there is no more. They're they're total naturalists. Well, what Peter says, totally in the face of that. One, Jesus did this miracle. Secondly, Jesus rose again from the dead. Thirdly, Jesus is important because you need to be saved. Saved from what? To the Sadducees, they denied that need for salvation. They don't need saved because there's nothing there's nothing to be saved from. And so I like this. The, the irony is not lost on Peter either in verse 8. He says, "Rulers and people and el- ruler, um, sorry, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we are this day judged for a good deed done to this helpless man by means uh, by what means he has been made well." So he's like, "Why again are we here? What do we do?" So this guy is crippled, and now he can walk. I'm not sure exactly what crime was committed. And now you want to know, but the main thing you want to know is who's responsible and whose name did you use and and what was the power behind this. He says, well, I'll tell you who the power is behind this. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the guy that you crucified. God has accepted And he's raised him from the dead. So apparently you're at odds with God. Because God saw him as righteous and you saw him as evil. You condemned him. And God undid what you did. 
You condemned him to death. You killed him. And God undid that. So you've got some, you've got some splaining to do. That's what he's trying to say. <laughs> okay? Now, it says in verse 13, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed and standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. That must have been difficult for them, don't you think? But that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, or lean on them is the way I described it, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. I think this is great. That must have been really hard for them to come to that conclusion. But you see the hardness of their hearts. We can't deny that a, that, that a significant miracle has been done. And instead of this miracle cracking the foundation of their worldview, which was that there is no supernatural, if there is no supernatural, there is no God and there is no resurrection and there is no reason that we should seek to honor Him or, or seek Him out. They say, well, we can't deny that this is a supernatural thing. And that's where it ends. And they say, but what we've got to do about it is try to limit people's exposure to it. Let's just make it go away. Let's make these guys be quiet about it. And so, um, my heart kind of breaks for these guys. Because their, their heart is so, so hard. And it's happening right in front of their faces. And they, they just made verbal affirmation that this thing has been done. And what Jesus said, Woe to you, Bethsaida, and woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, cities, the cities that he did his most notable miracles in. He says, if these miracles had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, the Sodom and Gomorrah would be standing to this day because they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But you, among whom these great things have been done, it didn't have any effect on you. And so Jesus' heart broke for these guys and mine does too because... These things are happening right in front of their faces and it's totally lost on them. But it's not lost on them. They see it. It has no effect on their heart. Remember what I said about the black box? The event happened. They were there. They, had, they were forced to observe it. They were forced to take it in. But they came out the other side and the next day, no car keys, no relationship with God. They missed out on what was offered to them that was presented there. And, and I'm not equating... <laughs> relationship with God with car keys. But they came out the other side and had nothing to show for what had been there. One more thing in, in uh, verse 13. It says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing among them, it goes on. And so... <clears throat> The thing I think about this is, I've known this story for a really long time. I used to read the book of Acts a lot because it was the short stories. So when I first learned to read, I'd read through the book of Acts. And I, I really liked these stories. And so I remember reading this at a really young age. This was kind of the first book that I gravitated to. But what I always thought about with this was, 
well, I might not be, have a classic education. I might not be smart in the world sense, but, but I'm going to be like educated by Jesus. And so my, my understanding of the scripture was that these guys were amazed at the eloquence and the, the ability, the mental capability and the understanding that Peter and John had, even though they weren't classically educated. And I, I really don't think that's what they were amazed by. And I've come to the conclusion, at least at this point, this is my thought. I think they realized that these guys didn't know, like, the Bible from a hole in the ground, basically. They, they weren't eloquent. They weren't, Peter doesn't use, he, he throws in a scripture here uh, subtly. And he says, the stone that the builders rejected, he has made the capstone. That's, and it's marvelous in our eyes. That's, that's a prophecy. And he weaves that in. But he doesn't speak like Paul does. And you, you read in, in, the, in the last half of the book of Acts, you read some of, like, Paul's speech before Agrippa, you're like, the, guy, the guy's incredible, linear, well thought out. You can't argue with him. He's, you're done. Like, you read it, and you're like, that's pretty, that's pretty straightforward. What Peter does, though, they're not amazed by his mental capability or the way he lays stuff out. What they're amazed by is his boldness. And what I think about this is this. I don't, I don't think God wants to, us to be the most educated people. That's not, that's not his goal. Now, it doesn't keep me from educating myself. I, I love the scriptures. I love to study. But this is what he did with Peter. Peter, they didn't notice that he was educated in some strange education. They noticed that even though he was uneducated, he had great boldness. And it was because he had been with Jesus. And this is the thing. They, they, with all of their education and PhDs and all of that weight that they're leaning on him with, you know, you, you, see these, you see these courtrooms, they still have them. They're these terraced courtrooms where the judges sat all surrounding the plaintiff. Can I use the right word? The person who's on, the defendant. They all sat and they're all literally looking down on him. And these guys... The audacity of Peter to say, you killed him, and God raised him from the dead, and he, in his name, is the only name by which anybody can be saved. They're like, something happened to this guy, because none of our stuff works on him. We're smarter than he is. We're more educated than he is. We can run circles around him with creation and evolution. With science, we've nailed, we've got it. We can explain away everything he has to say and nothing has any effect because Peter has seen Jesus alive. It doesn't matter to Peter whether they can explain how maybe the guards were paid off because that's the story that, they, that these guys circulated. That story has no effect on Peter. He doesn't care if they believe it or not. Because he's seen Jesus. You can't, you can't undo that. You don't, he doesn't need educated. He's got a relationship. And so this is what I think the Lord would like to have with us. He would like us to know him. And the power of Jesus. Personally. Not just educationally. Not just factually. Not just like, you know, in our heads. If we have that in our hearts. If we know that. Education can come later. It can, it can be 
get filled in later. But Peter is, is actively standing up against these guys, and it's not because he's smarter than them, and they know it. It's like, this guy's been with Jesus. And so what can they do to him? They can't do anything to him. So they move on. Verse 14, they saw the man who had been healed standing with them. They could say nothing against it. When they had commanded the people to go outside, I'm sorry, those people to go outside, they conferred among themselves saying, what can we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. What was spreading among the people? What was spreading among the people was something that Peter and John couldn't even stop. The Holy Spirit was spreading among people. They couldn't stop that. Even if Peter and John had been silent, the stones would have cried out. There would have, God would have just moved through somebody else. He was already moving in other people. This is just one of the stories. And so these guys think that they're going to, you know, if we, just, if we cut the head off the snake, I'm like, there's no head on the snake. The Holy Spirit is in, was in 120 people the first day and then 3,000 people later the same day. You can't stop the spread of that because it doesn't have anything to do with one or another person. It was something God was doing. And so it says, verse 18, They called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right, this, again, if they were smart or educated and knew what these guys could te- technically do to them, they would have kept their mouths shut. But they're just dumb enough to be bold enough to do it right. And they say, I don't know. He says, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Basically, he says, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. Jesus told me to speak in his name, so that's what I do. I don't know whether... You're going to have to work it out with him if you disagree about this, how this should go down. <laughs> he says, I'm ignorant. I'm just going to speak, do what Jesus tells me to do. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people. And since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. They couldn't deny the miracle. And because Peter and John weren't intimidated, the gospel wasn't silenced. And so I wanted to look at Luke chapter 14. Um, remember that Luke is the author that wrote Acts. And so I think I, I've noticed that there, man, there's a lot of significant tie-ins back into the book of Luke. And I don't think it's an accident. Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. So this is back during Jesus' ministry. This is the time where Jesus was going around and doing the things that he did. And he was preaching the gospel. And it says, And great multitudes went with them. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he is able to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, 
all will see it and begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, but was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, doesn't sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while there is, the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so, what these scribes and what these Pharisees, or, well, Sadducees, I should say. See, I told you I interchange them and I don't know what I'm doing. But what these scribes and what these Sadducees and what these priests are doing is they're confronting Peter and John with their potential loss. So far, you have come out unscathed. Jesus has died. You've lost a great friend. But if you continue in this way, we're going to bring this home so fast it'll make your head spin. That's what they're, that's they're saying. Okay, so far, and today, you've got the people with you. But we have this thing about finding people in the dark and taking them away and killing them where nobody's around. And you know we can do it. We'll find you. We know where you live. We're going to catch you. It'll just be a matter of time. And they're confronting them with this massive army. And so they're standing there. What the scribes and what the Sadducees don't understand is that they have already made this determination. Peter and John were there when when, when when Jesus said this. And he says, you've got to be willing to give up not just your friends, not just your freedom, not just your respect socially. You've got to be able to, you've got to be willing up to and including your wife and your children and your father and your mother. And you're, you, I'm requiring you to leave all for my sake. And count the cost now so you're not embarrassed later when you're confronted with it. And it was all for this moment and, and the moments that followed. But <coughs> that's the thing. Jesus has asked us to do this. He says, I'm not afraid of you counting the cost and thinking, what if I lost everything I have for the sake of eternal life? I'm totally okay with you doing that because I know what I have to offer you is better. He says, do it now while the enemy's still a long way off because when he's there in front of your gates, that's not the time to be making that decision. And that's what... These guys noticed about Peter and about John. These guys are completely unintimidated. And part of it, like I said before, it really had to do with their relationship with Jesus. They had, they had relationship with him. It was personal. It wasn't, they wasn't hypothetical in their mind. It was only hypothetical in the Sadducees' mind. And they thought, well, if we're dealing with hypotheticals, we'll just lean on them and they'll, they'll just go ahead with our idea because, it's, after all, it's just ideology. And Peter and John knew Jesus. They had seen him resurrected from the dead. They'd seen it work. And they were like, if Jesus promises to raise me from the dead and that I'll live with him eternally forever, bring it on. What are you going to do to me? If Jesus was the guy who says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but be afraid rather of the one who can, after killing your body, can burn you in hell. They were like, point taken. 
<laughs> and, they, and they had made peace with God. They have peace with God. They really don't care. They honestly don't care. And that's what boggled their minds, the Sadducees' minds, is that they didn't care. And instead of them being embarrassed, God was honored. Because the people saw this. What is it about these people that allows them to have that kind of fortitude in the face of that kind of intimidation? And Hebrews 11 says this, 11.6 says, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence of things unseen. And that's what's taking place here. They, they witnessed, they verbally witnessed, and they verbally said all of this stuff about eternal life. But the, it's unseen, isn't it? And the Sadducees, they play off, they play on that a lot. And, and I'm talking about, there are Sadducees, there are people like that here. They play on that a lot. They say, oh, well, this is all great, but it's all kind of fictitious, and it's, it's just ethereal. And where is it? Right? And what the Bible says is that faith is the evidence of things unseen. Evidence, my question is, who is evidence for? Who do you present evidence to? You don't present evidence to yourself. The evidence is is produced or shown to those who are observing you or judging you or evaluating for themselves what you're saying, whether it's true or not. And so when, when, when Paul... or gave something away there. When, when uh, the author of Hebrews says this, what he's saying is, this is, this is a level of, of witness that you can't do without actually believing in it. You can explain the gospel, but when you believe it, when you have faith in it, it's evidence for people of something that's unseen. And so these people who are watching what's going on here in the Sanhedrin that day, they, have, they go, whoa, what, what must have happened to Peter and John? And they're going to have everything stripped away from them. And they say, it's, they say they believe in eternal life. And you know what? You have to believe them. Because if they don't believe in eternal life, they've just basically went at people that can totally kill them for what they've done. And they've said, I have peace with God. I don't care about having peace with you. They must have peace with God. Because these guys, they, they, they think that they represent God. To be at odds with the Sanhedrin is to be in bad standing with the church. And they thought that they would be the ones, you know, responsible for, for you know, if you, had a bad, if you had bad stuff on your list, it was with these guys. That's what they thought. And yet they'd been with Jesus and they thought, you know, it doesn't matter if you guys talk bad about us in front of the throne in heaven. I have, a, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It doesn't matter what you, if, you, if you narc me out and say, hey, they didn't do what we said. Jesus would be like, well, neither did you. And actually, they, did, they were following my orders. Why? How come you haven't checked in for so long? Oh, because we don't know you. Yeah, I didn't think so. Like that, that's what, where Peter and John are at. But what happens when they don't, cow, when they don't cower and when they don't cow down, that people get to see the reality of heaven, even though... There, there, there's, no, there's no rift in the sky, but they see it in their hearts. They see it happen right in front of them. And so, what agent gave them this power? We get to see here in verse 13, where Peter and John had that boldness. Actually, 
Uh, you flip. Uh, I have to flip my page over. So, um, they, so we're in verse 23. And it says, And being let go, they went to their own companions, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and who by the mouth of your servant David has, says, has said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their standing, and the rulers gathered against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now look on their threats and grant that your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And what's missing from their request and their prayer is any request for safety. Don't you think that's interesting? If your lives had just been threatened and they're like, you better watch your six. First thing I pray is, God, watch my back. They say, God, give us boldness. Because it's a foregone conclusion. They said, I have already given my life. I'm ready to die for Jesus. I took up my cross this morning and I'm following him. What I need is boldness to continue in the way. I don't need so much preservation as I need boldness. That's incredible to me. Because I can be honest, this is a take home for me. Don't pray so much that the way would be cushioned. Pray for power to walk through it. Don't pray so much for safety that you wouldn't have your feelings hurt, wouldn't have your heart hurt, wouldn't, wouldn't ha- be embarrassed in front of people. Don't pray so much that you would be protected. Pray more that you would be able to speak the word of God with boldness so that it doesn't undermine the truth of, of what's being said. Because they knew that being, being protected from physical harm wasn't the thing that God had promised. In fact, he'd promised quite the opposite. He says, if they have called your teacher and master Beelzebub, if they've called me Satan and they've persecuted me, how much more are they going to do it to you guys? You guys aren't even nice half the time. And I'm perfect. So, so, they're, so they're really going to hit you guys because you, 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 know, you say stuff that, that I probably even wouldn't. So, so if, this, if the master has been persecuted, how much more the students? They knew what they were in for. All they're praying for now is the boldness to charge ahead with boldness and to continue. And, and the thing that got them in trouble, they're like, whoa, that was super intense. I hope no more miracles happen today. I, you know what? It's been, I've got a case of the Mondays. I could just go without any more craziness for a little while. Can I have a break? They say, rather, at a very inconvenient time, you know what would be great is if more miracles and more things that drew attention to us and to the gospel would happen right now. You understand what they were asking for? Because they knew what they were asking for. They were saying, bring it on. And it wasn't like, well, what we need is a better healing ministry so that people will tithe more and we'll have a better, you know, a better life. They were, that was a death wish to ask for that. And they asked for it, and God did it. 
he filled them with boldness and they went out and they spoke the word of God boldly. They spoke in the name of Jesus when they'd been directly ordered and threat of death not to do that. They went back and did it. And nobody could do anything about it. Now, this scripture that they quote here is Psalm 2. Psalm, if you just split your Bible in the middle, you'll come to Psalms and then you'll probably be in about 100 and go back to chapter 2. But this, this is a good psalm. It starts out, this is the part they quote, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. Remember what we said about them knowing God? This is, this is their perspective. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress, distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare this decree, the Lord has said to me. You are my son, and today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give to you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in Him. And so this is a prayer, they're praying for the people who had just threatened them. And do you see where intellect and instruction and education come into this? Saying, no, we don't need to be educated. You need to be educated. This is, you may know ever so much, but this one thing you need to know. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. You count the cost. They're saying, boys, count the cost. If you speak one more word in this man's name, you're going to get it. And they go, you know, instead of coming back at him with this in, in court, but they go to the Lord and they say, Lord, they're the ones that need educated. And they just need educated in this one thing. You count the cost. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you, and you perish in the way. Because... What's coming on them is much, much greater than any threat that they could put on Peter and Paul, and, or Peter and John. <clears throat> and so, the Lord shakes the place. Look in verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And I just want to close with this. There's something important, I think. I, I did some... Searching around. Because it's like, why, why shake the place? Why have an earthquake? That's kind of different. You know? doesn't always happen. What's with the shaking of the earth? And if you look in Hebrews, I think it ties in really well. If you understand, once we've read Psalm chapter 2, it ties in really well. If you look at Hebrews chapter 26, um, two more... Uh, <clears throat> Chapter 12, verse 20. I'm going to actually read 25 through 29. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 13, and Haggai uh, 2.6. And this is some of the stuff that Hebrews is talking about. Um, 
says, see that you do not... Now, now remember that the author of Hebrews wrote Hebrews to these same people. Wrote it to the leaders of Israel. Wrote it to the people, the church in Jerusalem. Wrote it to these people that had rejected him or were in danger of turning away from him. And it says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn to him who speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth. But now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, the quotation, it indicates the removal of those things that, had, that were being shaken. And as, and as of the things that are made, the things which cannot be shaken may, be, may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And so what's being said here is when, when God gave the law to the people that established all of this, the priesthood and all of this stuff, he shook the earth. But he says, what God has promised is that there's a time coming where he's going to shake not only the earth, but the heavens. And everything that can be removed, that's not eternal in nature, is going to be destroyed and taken away. And in Revelation chapter 20, 21, it says that heaven and earth were, were burned up and there was no more any place found for them. Those who didn't have a place in, in an eternal dwelling. And, and so... In Hebrews here, I think that we have an indication of why, why God shook the place. He says, these things can be shaken. These temporal things can be shaken up. And um, not only, it would have just been significant, like I heard you, rattle, 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 <laughs> got it. <laughs> he did that. But I think that having an earthquake happen, an earthquake happened when Jesus died. When he, when he was crucified, when he breathed his last, there was a great earthquake in, in Jerusalem. Many of the buildings fell. The rocks were split open and the tombs were opened. And, and people resurrected from the dead right there in front of people and appeared in Jerusalem. That's one of the things that, that happened. And I'm pretty sure it was Luke that recorded that. But here, the, the earth is shaken. The place where they're meeting is shaken. Because the whole, the whole thing, the whole question was, are you going to serve God for this life, or are you going to serve God for eternal life? And Peter and John had a relationship with God that was absolutely based on eternal life. And these Sadducees were saying, hey, we could really mess up your temporal life. And they clung to the eternal. And God, I think, was reminding them, hey, this stuff, you know, this stuff can be broken down in in no time. And so, um, I think there's a lot that we can learn from that. Because this is... A culture. This is a place where we live that it's getting more and more difficult. We need to make some decisions about how and in what way we believe in God. Do we believe in God because in a way that we follow social norm and we follow social pattern and, and the way of the world is going this way and there's an acceptable way to be a Christian now that the world accepts. And there is a way that the Bible teaches that God preaches that God demands that is not socially acceptable that we do stand to lose a lot 
and our freedoms can be taken away and our rights can be taken away and our families can be taken away. And this is the time before you're in court, before you're with some news camera in your face or some person confronting you over it. This is the time to count the cost. It's called a foregone conclusion. It means that my, my decision has been made ahead of time. This is what I'm going to do when I'm confronted with this. And that Jesus says, go for it. Count the cost and make this determination in your heart so that when the time comes, you won't be all, I don't know what to do. You'll be confident. And this is the time to ask for boldness. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do. We ask for boldness. Lord, that we're not standing against the world, but rather, Lord, we're standing with you, and the world comes against us in so many ways. Lord, that we don't, we don't seek out trouble, but trouble finds those who follow you. And you told us to take up our cross and follow you. Lord, that we would be willing to give up houses or land or any of the comforts of this world for the hope that's in the next. Lord, that we would be faithful to that. Lord, that you would help us to understand who you are and what it is that you have given us in a way that's personal and, Lord, that can't be shaken. So, Lord, as we as we just come before you and remember the, the great cost that you paid for the sake of eternal life, Lord, greater than any cost we could ever pay. Lord, that the faith that you have in eternal life, you were the one willing to walk through that door first for us. With all of our sin on your back, Lord, you walked into death. And Lord, then the Father rose you again from the dead. And now we just follow in your footsteps, Lord. Pray that you give us that kind of confidence in your word, Lord, in who you are and your character, Lord, that you will provide for us the things that you have promised. And we just pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Well, we're going to take communion this morning together. And so if a couple guys um, will come and, and pass this out during the first song, then I'll come back up and we'll partake together.
So in Luke chapter 22, you know, the story of Jesus presenting this to us as something that we can do as we, as we wait for him and remember him. He says in verse 15, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until the, it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among, among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he has been betrayed. And so, this isn't the most common 
place that you read out of uh, for communion because it has this tinge of betrayal right in the middle of it. And yet, we have to understand that 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 is always been a part of the church. It's always been a part of what Jesus has done. He says, this isn't done without difficulty. It's not done without heartache. It's not done without betrayal. And that Jesus went through what he's called us to go through. He went through suffering. He went through personal suffering. He went through having the people closest to him turn against him. And he's not asking us to do anything differently. And what he says, I, I think, is wonderful here. He says, I have with fervent desire, desired to, to take this Passover with you. Because it's going to be fulfilled. I'm, I'm not going to take it again until I fulfill it in the kingdom of God. And he's talking about the, this next thing he's about to do. But then he says, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine. This is for you to do. You do this in remembrance of me. But I'm going to abstain. I'm going to withhold from myself the fruit of the vine until my kingdom comes. Because he wants us to know that he's waiting with anticipation. That he's, that he's not in a sense of, well, I'm in heaven. It's too bad for you guys. But I'm here and you're not. He says, I want you to be here with me. That is my heart's desire. I want it more than wine. I want it more than anything that this heaven has to offer. I want you to be here with me. So that we, in the middle of our lives, when we drink this in remembrance of him, we recognize that he's not, he's not upstairs feasting while we're downstairs slaving and losing. He's there with us in heart. He's in heaven. We're here on earth. And he hasn't forgotten us. And so, he says, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. And that we should do this in remembrance of him. So let's partake of it together. And he said, this covenant, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. And so, in the other gospels it says that, that this blood... Is, is shed for us for the remission of our sins, that our sins are taken away. And if, if we have peace with God, what can the world throw at us? If we have eternal life guaranteed because we have peace with God, there isn't anything that can be taken away from us that is worth trading for that. So let's partake of this and remember what God has called us to. And Father... I thank you for sending your son. I thank you for his example of obedience. Lord, for the boldness that you gave him to go to the cross, even when his heart was breaking, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that kind of boldness. We're not of ourselves, nothing to boast of, Lord, but as a gift of your spirit, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on us to speak your word with boldness, to share with people uh, not being worried about what that might mean to us relationally or socially or, or whatever it may be. Lord, that you would help us to speak the truth in love. Lord, that we would know you and the power of your resurrection. Lord, that we would be built up in grace. Lord, I pray that you would 
Just fill us again with your spirit. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's just do one more song. Why don't you uh, stand together with me? Is that okay? Just do one more. One more.
心。